Today I'm in the studio with Pastor Eric, and Eric, we are finally going to finish up Mark chapter 6 today. We've spent four weeks in Mark chapter 6. It's a 56-verse chapter, and spoiler alert, I'm going to just tell people where we're going today, and then let's get there, but it'll take us a while to get there. We're talking today about the story when Jesus walks on water. So some of the themes today are going to be about trials and storms in our life and how Jesus can calm the storms in our life and all that kind of stuff. And people who have been following along in this series so far might think, hold on a second. Wait, didn't we already do, didn't we already do this one? Didn't Jesus already calm the storm? And in fact, it's true. Back, what, six, seven weeks ago when we were in chapter four, we see that Jesus calmed a storm already. Now that time he was in the boat sleeping and then he calmed the storm. This time, he's going to be not in the boat. He's going to be walking across the water. Only the disciples are in the boat, but it's going to be the same outcome, a lot of the same lessons. And it kind of reminds me of what we talked about just last week when we saw the feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 6, and we went ahead and added in the feeding of the 4,000 in chapter 8. And help help us to help us to put this in context, Eric, because... What I'm picking up on is that Mark wants to make sure to tell these stories, first of all, because they happened, but second of all, because I think it shows us that that the disciples were having a hard time really understanding who Jesus was. And that's why sometimes he repeated some of these miracles, because the disciples were a little bit, maybe a little bit hard-headed or a little bit forgetful or or maybe even a little bit faithless. Yeah, I I think that what we can take away from how Mark writes, his writing style is that he he shares yeah, similar similar stories. We've talked about the intercalations where it's two stor- two different stories that tell the same theme so as to to learn from two different angles uh about a, a topic that God wants us to to grow in, um, but also like we see with the double stories of the the, the miracle feedings and the the water miracles that we're going to talk about, um, I think that you know quite frankly uh, we can relate to this is it's because we need to be taught things over and over and over again. You know, I mean, it takes repetition. Uh, we can't just hear things one time and be done with it. We need to hear things over and over again. And so Mark literally records Jesus doing the same miracles, but in different times in the historical narrative, because Jesus thinks it's important. Remember, the Holy Spirit wrote this down, and this is an eyewitness account of Jesus' life. And many of the other uh, gospel narratives also cover in fact, three gospel narratives cover this these this miracle of Jesus walking on the water and and the other one as well and and it's because we're we are hard headed like the disciples. I think many times when we try to learn from the disciples it's how not to be or it's it's for our own humility and we can say man we're 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 a lot like these guys when because we're disciples of Jesus. We're followers of him as well. And and sometimes, you know, we waver in our faith and we need him to remind us over and over again who he is, how powerful he is, and how good he is. Well, and the truth is that 
we need that reminder all the time. And so it was, what, six or seven weeks ago that we covered the storm in chapter four, and now we're going to be covering a very similar storm in chapter six. And maybe six or seven weeks ago, uh, some of our listeners weren't going through a storm, but maybe today they are. Maybe, mm. maybe, they're fa- maybe there are some listeners right now facing a storm, um, and, and you're freaking out. And so you'll relate to what we're about to read. Maybe it's a relationship issue. You know, Eric, in our churches, so, just so many marriages are going through storms. So many, so many you know, ju- high schoolers, junior hires are creating stress for their parents. So many parents are creating stress for maybe some of our high schoolers or college students who are listening. So, you know, some of the storms might be relationship issues, maybe... Some of our listeners have a financial storm that they're facing right now. The economy is changing. People are starting to wig out. They're wondering if we're going to hit another recession. Um, we, we're not too far removed from tax season. Some people are probably still trying to pay their tax bills. You know, maybe you've got a storm with your job at work. Um, maybe, maybe it's a physical ailment. Uh, maybe you recently got a diagnosis or someone in your family recently did or recently passed away. For some people, it might even be just, you know, exactly what we're going to be reading about in the story today, that there's in essence like a crisis of faith, which I think is the biggest crisis we can face. It's the most important crisis, is really trying to under, trying to wrestle with God, so to speak. And, and in essence, that's what's happening with these disciples is here they are, they get a front row seat to all of Jesus' miracles and all of his teachings, and we're going to see they're still trying to figure out who he is and what it means to them. Here's what I love about when we talk about God reminding us of, of who he is and, and how powerful he is and how much he loves us is, is that he does it in extreme ways, in ways that um, can't be mistaken. Um, for the his glory being revealed to us uh, all throughout the Bible, we see God proving himself over and over and over again to his people. And it really just proves that people don't change. <laughs> and God doesn't either, because God um, does a lot of miraculous things to to get us to see, to get us to believe, to get us to trust Him. And that's what I, I love about our faith in, in Christianity is that it's not just like a, a thing that happened in history and, uh, and we just need to keep you know, looking back. But God is, God is still moving today. If you're a Christian here today, you, you can say that you know um, certain times in your life, mile markers in your life, where God has proven Himself to be faithful. He's come through. And so what I, I would also like, other than just to be a downer today about our, our little faith and, and how we be, need to be reminded over and over again, is I think it's good to remind ourselves of what God has already done now in our own lives and what He wrote down in Scripture. And that, that really leads us to, you know, as we talk about 
water miracles, what we're going to look at in the New Testament, there are many Old Testament um, water miracles as well. These are some of the biggest miracles that have made him famous. I mean, they've they've done movies about these things, right? Like if we go back to the the book of Exodus, um, you know, one of the greatest water miracles happened when when God parted the Red Sea. Um, a little back, a little background to the story. Uh, God wanted to save His people out of slavery in Egypt, and so He He used this man named Moses. You know, this 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 weak man, uh, this man who uh, had to go through his own journey and trial, and for forty years learn how to be a shepherd. And but eventually, you know, God talks to him and says, "I want you to go get my." people out of Israel, and so what's going to happen is I'm going to do these miracles, these signs, these ten plagues, and on the tenth one, Pharaoh's going to let them go, and um, so that happens, and, and hundreds of thousands of people now are led out of Egypt into the wilderness, and they find themselves backed up to this place called the Red Sea, a body of water, and the Egyptians change their mind, and they're like, you know what, we want them back, so they come chasing after them. And everybody feels like they're doomed. They're like, oh my gosh, we've backed ourselves up into a corner here now. We can't get past this body of water. We're doomed. God tells Moses to, you know, uh, lift the staff and and uh, uses uses this miracle and, and parts the parts the Red Sea. They the, all the Israelites go through miraculously on dry ground, and then God covers up. Um, the soldiers who uh, pursued them through the sea with the water back on them. And that is that is a story um, that is recounted over and over again in Scripture. It's sung about in the Psalms. It's, it's talked about over and over again. It's probably the most recounted story in Scripture. And, and that's re- really what I'm talking about is maybe, but maybe there's something in your life other than just the scriptures, something's happened in your life where you can go back to it and be reminded, okay, yes, God moved. God was powerful. God works, even in my trials, and that's why I can trust him. Yeah, and more than more than that, it's just that God sees it, that he's aware of it. You know, because the, the Christian life isn't a guarantee that there won't be storms, there's a there's a stream of Christianity. I wouldn't even call it Christianity out there that says that you know prosperity gospel that says that if you're a Christian that nothing bad's going to happen to you that you'll have wealth and health and and everything will be great. That's not actually biblical. All throughout the Bible, God's people have endured storms like the one you know not physical storms necessarily, but trials like like the 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 slavery in Egypt and God delivers. And sometimes he doesn't, <laughs> and those are some of the some of the themes we're going to see. But going all the way back to that that story, that famous story in the Old Testament about the parting of the Red Sea, it all started in Exodus three, when God is talking to Moses. And there are some themes here in Exodus three, and I, I want to read this first because then we're going to read the Mark story for today, and I want our listeners to pay attention to the overlapping themes because it's the same God. Jesus is the same God. You know, Jesus was there in the burning bush, and now here he's going to be in the story in Mark chapter 6. And and so pay attention to these words in Exodus 3, and then I'm going to read the words from Mark 6. 
it says, this is God speaking from the burning, put, burning bush. Then, I, then the Lord told Moses, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. So here's a God who's aware of it. I've heard the cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Pay attention to the cries of distress because that's going to show up in Mark 6. He says, I'm aware of their suffering, so I've come down to rescue them. Now that just, there's so much right there. Keep that in mind. Let those words kind of ring in your ears as I read the Mark story now in Mark 6. It says, immediately after this, verse 45, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. And after telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills to pray by himself. So he's up there now getting a, kind of getting away from the crowd after the feeding of the 5,000. And it says in verse 47, late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble. There it is. He saw that they were in serious trouble. Just like God said to Moses, I've seen their suffering. I'm aware of it. They were rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. And so at about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. He intended to go past them, but when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking that he was a ghost. And so we, we see some of these themes repeating in in Exodus 3, now again, the Exodus 3 story is, is much more long-term. It's like 400 years of slavery, and it's a bigger deal. But this is just like a momentary thing. And I think part of the point is it's it's the same God, and but he we see some of these overlapping themes. A couple of things. Number one, Jesus was watching them in their struggle. And number two, and some people need to hear this, I think, today. Number two... He didn't act right away. Now remember, the the Israelites were in slavery for 400 years. So God didn't act right away in that story. And here, Jesus doesn't even act right away. He lets them struggle a little bit before he walks out onto the water. And I think maybe at this point, Eric, we can pause and let people think about their own stories, their own storm, their own crisis, maybe where... They've wondered these two things. Number one, they've wondered, does, does God even see what I'm going through? Does he even care? But then, then number two was, why is he not acting on this? Like, it's been a while. Where is he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, one for, for me that this, this comes up, you know, is I've struggled in, in the 12 years I've been married. Um, we've had you know, fights along the way. It hasn't always been perfect. Uh, although, you know, I, I think my wife is close to perfect and I love her dearly. Um, but we, we've struggled and there's been times where there was certain, uh, conflicts that we've had that sometimes just didn't make sense and they wouldn't go away. And it was, it was, it was very discouraging, you know, wondering, wondering how long this marriage is going to last, wondering um, if we, we, would, we would be able to, to live up to what the Bible has to say about how to, how to love each other. And it's been, there's been some scary times in my marriage where I was praying and praying and praying, and it drove me to my knees in prayer so much. And, 
and maybe days or weeks would go by during a storm or a crisis like this in our in our family and and I I know that God values marriage. I know that God values that that we love one another and and that you know the Bible is a represent says that marriage is a representation of his his love for us and he created this institution and um and so I kept praying and praying and praying, but finally I started getting to this point where I was like, why, Lord, are you allowing this to be this way? You know, wondering, are you, do you care? Are you, are you, are you seeing this? Are you watching? And now obviously I've been through enough to know, uh, enough storms to know that God is going to safely deliver me and us on the other side. But when you're in it, Sometimes it seems like your faith or our faith or my faith was was dwindling, questioning God, wondering when, if and when he was going to do something about this. And lo and behold, uh, you know, when I get to the point of desperation and I'm praying and I'm praying and praying and finally when I'm about to give up, that's usually the time when God, he says, okay, you've learned your lesson. <laughs> um now I'm going to do something about it. And, and he always amazes me. And, you know, my wife and I have a great marriage and, and a good relationship, um, even now. And it's, it's really because he's working in both of us. Um, but, but sometimes we're just, we're too stubborn to, to listen to him. Um, but maybe, maybe that's a story that people can, can relate to. Maybe, a struggle in marriage, you're praying for the other person and it just doesn't seem to be doing anything. Yeah, let's go back to the text because I there's something here, again, uh, if you're listening at home, you can have your finger in Exodus 3 and your finger in Mark 6. And there's another overlap. So we, we see the overlap with God watching the suffering of the Israelites and Jesus watching the suffering of his disciples in the boat, but there's more to it. And this is really powerful because going starting in Exodus 3, you know, Moses kind of pushes back. He says, who am I to lead your people? Are you sure you got the right guy? So he's feeling insecure. He, he's feeling unsure about going into this situation that God is calling him into to deliver the Israelites from Egyptian oppression. And God says this, from the bush in verse 14. It's a famous refrain from the Old Testament. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And so what, what God does in this passage is he says, I'm going to tell you who's behind all this. And he, re, he for the first time in scripture, he reveals his name. He, he reveals this name of I am. Now that the the language in the language there that would be the words Y H W H. This is Yahweh, and this is how God reveals Himself. And the sense there is, and and we see this all throughout the story of God's relationship with Moses. The sense there is Moses, I will be with you, and not just I will be with you, but I'll be I'll be with the the Israelites in this whole journey. Like I'm going with you. You're not going to be. On your own. In fact, the story, as you told it, Eric, God led them in a in a cloud by day, in a pillar of fire by night. And so God, this this name that He gave Himself for Moses and the Israelites isn't wasn't just like a 
meaningless name. It meant something. He, he was saying, I'm present, I'm with you in the ups and the downs, in the, in the good times and the bad times. I'll be with you when you leave that first night from Egypt. I'll be with you as you're crossing the Red Sea miraculously. I'll be with you in the desert, in the wilderness for 40 days. I'll be with you. I'm going ahead of you to the promised land. I mean, this theme is all throughout the Bible, this theme of I am, and we see it here in the Mark story. So picking back up now, again, pay attention and listen for these words. And starting in verse 50, it says that the disciples are in the boat. Remember, Jesus is walking across in the water, and it says that they were all terrified when they saw him. Remember that Moses was terrified at the bush, the burning bush as well. It says, Jesus spoke to them at once, and he said, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. And a lot of commentators believe actually that Jesus intentionally said it like that, that Mark intentionally relayed it like that. Matthew does the same thing in his gospel because he wants us to begin to understand. He wants us to begin to make the connection from Jesus to the I am of the Exodus story, to to Yahweh of the Old Testament. And so it says that Jesus climbed into the boat and the wind stopped and they were totally amazed for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves that we read last week. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. So in the Mark story, you know, what I, what I get out of this, there's so much to really unfold here for our listeners is, is that they're still trying to understand the identity of Jesus Just like Moses was really trying to understand the identity of God and everything that it would mean to them through the ups and downs of life. That's really what is to strengthen our faith and trust in God in the first place is getting to know who he is, Um, learning more about who Jesus Christ is, who God is, um, helps you to understand what he's capable of in the first place, you know, we wouldn't know, we wouldn't know God if we didn't have these stories to recount of the historical he things he did for his people um, in Israel. And so, for, for I guess a practical thing that I would say out of this, uh, as we we take a moment to to give some application, would be um, in order to trust. Jesus more or or to believe God is is good enough to deliver you from these storms or that he even wants to is you've got to find out more about him this is why people join small groups this is why people gather together and go to church and hear sermons and and do discipleship so that they can talk about God the word of God the attributes of God and and here, specifically, um, we're talking about the nature of who Jesus is. Um, Jesus is everything that God is, because Jesus is God, the second member of the Trinity, uh, the Son. The Bible says that, that God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, So Jesus is is God in the flesh, God with us, the Bible says Emmanuel. And several times in the New Testament, in the book of John, uh, 
uh, and many other passages, but in the book of John specifically makes it clear that Jesus is God. And, and in fact, Jesus himself refers to himself as the I am in, in John chapter eight. Um, he's, he's talking to, uh, some, some Pharisees and people that are challenging him. And he tells them, uh, that, that he, he mentions Abraham, whom they respect very deeply. Okay. They, they respect very deeply. He's the father of the faith. He's the one whom God, uh, gave all the promises to, and through him would become the offspring that would bless all nations. And Jesus mentions him, and and they say, you aren't even 50 years old. This is in John uh, chapter 8, verse 57. How can you say you've seen Abraham? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. And at that point, they picked up stones to throw at him. Um, and they were going to throw stones at him because he was basically calling himself God. And and that's what we see and what commentators believe that we see he's doing here is that he's giving him this, the, himself the name Yahweh. In fact, his name, Jesus, in, in its original language would be Yahashua, which means Yahweh saves and so as we look at the story it's very it's a very literal uh enactment of of the meaning of his name because he is the god who's coming to defy nature walk on water and he's coming to save them he's saying don't fear i'm here and i'm finally here to deliver you because i am who i say i am now, the Mark passage ends in verse 52 by saying that their hearts were too hard to take it in. So what that means is they were, they were still trying to make sense of who Jesus was. A lot of times it's easy for us to read Scripture with the whole story in mind. But, but if you go back and read Mark chapter 6 with just the first five or six chapters in mind, the disciples are still trying to put together who exactly Jesus is. They're still trying to make sense of this. Remember John the Baptist a couple of weeks ago, John the Baptist even had his own crisis of faith trying to make sense of who Jesus is because he wasn't living up to John the Baptist's expectations. John thought that he'd be more judgmental than he was, and he was bringing blessing to everybody. So I think there are there are a lot of crises of faith that we see in the story. And even, even here in Mark's account, the disciples themselves still had hard hearts trying to make sense of who he was. And then if you turn to Matthew, we get another picture. And Eric, help us to make sense of this because the Mark account doesn't include this, but it's clearly the same story and in Mark, Matthew chapter 14, Matthew adds these verses. It says, after, after Jesus walked out to them on the water and before Jesus got in the boat, it says in verse 28 that Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Now, this is a part of the story that's pretty famous, and it's interesting that Mark doesn't include it. And here's what, here's what Matthew says about it. Jesus said, yes, come. So Peter went over the side of the boat, walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong waves and the, and the wind, he was terrified and he began to sink. 
He said, save me, Lord. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him and said, you have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? So the question, I guess, here that the average listener would have is, Eric, why did, why did Mark not include this little part of the story that included Peter? Well, I think we can go back to um, who's writing, you know, the book of Mark, John Mark, who we've, we've found out to be uh, a very close um, follower of Peter. And, and the book of Mark is actually believed to be a set of memoirs and preaching some sermons from Peter himself that, that Mark was writing down. And so one could speculate that maybe Mark wanted to leave this one out, you know? He just had uh, maybe been feeling bad about himself. You know, he famously felt bad about himself for a lot of his his failures and his times of of little faith. And so may, maybe maybe Peter wanted to to leave this one out of the story, but we're thankful we're thankful for Peter's story. We're thankful for um you know, seeing seeing that a guy, one of the guys that was most zealously following Jesus had several failures and crises of faith, um, and he had to be called out by Jesus. He had to be reminded. He had to be restored. I mean, G- it, Peter had failed, you know, so many times by denying Christ when he got arrested and uh, telling, rebuking Jesus and telling him, no, he wasn't going to have to go to the cross. And Jesus called him Satan, get behind me, Satan. And this is just another one of those things against Peter. But yet I'm thankful for this because what, what do I take away? What do we, I think we should take away from Peter's sinking faith? Um, is that he's really like all of us. And as we started out this 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 um, lesson today, we're talking about how we always need to be reminded over and over and over again. Peter's a great image of that in the Bible. He needed to be reminded and he needed to be restored. And I think that that's what the Christian faith really is. If you boil it down, it is us being forgiven by God for all of our failures and sins, not one time, but over and over again. And it's a wonderful thing to know that we have a Savior that isn't only going to rescue us one time, but over and over again for the rest of our lives until we go to be with Him one day. But we have weak faith. We have little faith. And I've heard it said about that that passage, O ye of little faith, or you have so little faith. It's a famous saying as well. People use it all the time for things outside of, you know, uh, religious faith even. And what it really means is that his faith is so temporary, it's so uh, quick, it, it goes away so fast, it's, it's so tiny that it lasts for a little while and then it goes away. And isn't that so much like us sometimes? And that is why we need to be reminded over and over and over again who Jesus is, how powerful God is, because it's, it's like we we forget. We forget about what he's done in our own lives. We forget about what he's done and proven himself in, in scripture. And, and, you know, quite frankly, we, we forget all that Jesus went through, including dying on the cross for our sins. And so I think not only do we need 
to be reminded of God getting us through storms, but we also need to be reminded that God saved us from the greatest trial and and thing that caused the most storms in our life anyway, and that was our that's our sin. And Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says, once for all sins, all time. We can keep re- relying and and going back to the Lord for forgiveness because his his death on the cross was powerful enough to to save us for the rest of our lives for our eternity the bible says he gives us eternal life and so many times i i meet so many christians and i myself have been this way where we waver in our faith and sometimes we're 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 legalistic towards ourselves we wonder if god loves us is he watching us anymore maybe we've lost our salvation and yet God has to remind us over and over again, never forget the cross. That would be the most important thing that we must always remember when talking about Jesus. Here's how chapter 6 ends in the Gospel of Mark. It says, after they had crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret, and they brought the boat to shore and climbed out. And the people recognized Jesus at once. They ran throughout the whole area, carrying sick people on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went... In villages, cities, or the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. You know, what jumps out at me in this is just that it's kind of an echo of his name, the great I am, right? And, And what he said to the disciples, he said, I am here. And then in the next scene, he is at Gennesaret. And he is here. And wherever he was, wherever he went, I mean, that's what really jumps out. That's what I highlight in my Bible is wherever he went. And I guess the question for our listeners today, as, you're, as you've been listening and processing this section of Scripture, probably with your story in mind, with your storm in mind, with your trial in mind, you know, the, the, the question probably is just where is Jesus in it? You know, do, is he in the boat? Is he near you? Are you near him? Are you seeking him out? Because it's easy, I think, in our trials, I think we we have two options. We can run from Jesus in our trial, or we can run to Jesus in our trial. And here's here's a story of all these desperate people who are running to Jesus, and just, it's really actually shocking to read in the Bible, just over and over and over and over again, Jesus just brings healing and blessing into the lives of these people. And I know that our, our listeners are, are again, you're probably wondering the same thing. If, if you're struggling right now in your trial, you're, maybe you're in that place where you're still trying to figure out what G, where Jesus is in all this, and if he does even care about all this. Just remember his, the name that he gave himself at the burning bush with Moses. He said, I am the great I am. Just that's, there's no better way to explain God than just that he is present, that he is the great I am. And so my, my challenge to listeners today is to seek that God, to seek, the, to seek Jesus even in the storm. E- even if he doesn't calm the storm, his presence is what, is what can make the difference in your life. Eric, I'll give you the last word. 
Yeah, I would say that we can take away from this what we take away from, in fact, most of the stories of the Bible, is that God is faithful even when we aren't. When Peter's faith is little, uh, God's grace is big. He, What I loved about the story is he was watching from afar, and when they, they got in distress, he didn't run. It says he walked on the water. He wasn't worried. He wasn't fretting over what was going to happen. He knew he knew the outcome of the entire thing. He knew he knew he trusted in his power even when when they didn't and when we don't. But yet what does he do time and time again? He reveals who he is, how much power he has, and how much he loves us. And along the way, uh, I believe God allows us to go through these storms to grow our little faith, because the Bible says that if you have even a little faith, you can move mountains. What could we do with big faith? What could we do uh, in our lives with the Lord if we chose to trust Him in these trials? How how much better could our marriages be and our, our family situations be? How even if the, the situation didn't change, could our perspective give us peace instead of fear? When we know Jesus, we can know true peace. And I believe that's what he wants for us.